Well, we are, I'm trusting we're going to be able to bring to a conclusion this, uh, this mini-series we've been doing on relationships and how important relationships are. And Pastor Hammond came a couple weeks ago or la- last month, beginning of August, and spoke a word to us about, uh, you know, that was very timely for us as a people as we're moving forward and shared four things with us. What were the four things that he shared with us? He described them as wells that need to be redug out of Genesis 26. And so we're continuing on that. And we did faith and expectation. I'm giving you the first one. The, the one we're in right now is what? Relationships. And where we're going is, what's the next one? You don't know, do you? Because you don't know which one we're going to say, which one we're going to go to next. So half of you said the cross and half of you said discipleship. But those are the other two that we're redigging those wells, those life sources uh, in our lives that are so important that God has given us to be the kind of people that we must become. And Holy Spirit is in charge of directing and uh, orchestrating all of that in our lives, both personally and us corporately. Now, you'll notice a different configuration this morning than we're used to. We usually roll with a pretty traditional uh, setup, but this morning we're in this type of configuration, kind of these horseshoes that some of you have just destroyed your horseshoes. Uh, some of you have kept form, and so we can tell what kind of a group you are based upon what you've done. Some of you have kind of moved away from each other. The, the tight-knit quarters was a little too uncomfortable for you. But uh, here's what we want to do. If you're in a place where you've got kind of a small group, we want you to move and consolidate the groups into uh, larger groups so that you're filling up the chairs in the group. So if you could quickly, if you're in some of the, maybe the outer perimeter, if you could move in, I know that might be a little bit crazy. We got three or four seats over here in this group. Yeah, kind of raise your hand. We got three here in the middle. But if you could move around, you can grab another seat if you want to. So while I'm sharing, while I'm sharing, if you would like to turn your chair a little bit so that you can see a little bit better, so you're not tweaking your neck and you don't need a chiropractor by the end of the service, yeah, Ev will be available right at the end to give back massages. But feel free to move your chair. But then you're going to be moving back together again. You're going to be discussing. So I'm going to release you for a couple minutes to talk amongst yourselves. And so you can kind of nominate a horseshoe captain who will kind of help lead the discussion. And uh, so at different times, we're going to be praying together. At different times, we're going to be discussing together. And so ground rules for this is when you discuss, you've got 30 seconds to share what you're going to share. And uh, so it's not a long, drawn-out thing. And if you're praying, no, longer, no more than 30 seconds as well, because I know some of y'all can pray. And get your get your prayer on. So, since we've been in this mini-series of relationships, this is part three of that, I mentioned to you some of the challenges that, that I've been facing, that we've been facing in our own family. This word is being tested. How to work things out, to work things all the way through. Uh, what are some of the other things that we've been discussing? Some of the ingredients of what it takes for healthy relationships. If you're married, you don't even have to look at your notes because you, you know 
or if you're uh, in a relationship with somebody you know, I mean, if you've been in a family at all, which everybody has, then you know these types of things. What are they? Just shout them out. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Humility. Patience. What's that? I need Jesus. Great starting point. I need Jesus. Everything is going to go well from there. What else? Trust. Sacrifice. Keeping it clean. Keeping it clean. Working it through all the way. Honest and honoring. Those two important keys that we marry those things together in our communication and how we relate with one another. That there's honor. We can, we can, we can be honest. We can tell it like it is. But if we honor, then the, with those two things going together, and of course we understand and we've seen in our relationships the damage that can be done when we don't have honor in the way that we're relating with one another. Going with that honesty. Anything else that stands out? It's not all about you. True story. Okay? Judge the way you want to be judged. How, how do you want to be handled? How do you want to be treated? Do to others what you want done to you. My kids always twist that around. They're like, well, they did it to me, so I'm going to do it to them. No, they're missing the whole point. <laughs> do to others what you would like done to you. Love like Jesus loves. Love like Jesus loves. Yeah. I was talking with somebody this last week and they said, you know, since you've been talking about these, this whole uh, little thing on relationships right here, so I have a question for you. Have you put a microphone recorder in my house? <laughs> like, man, this is, this is hitting home. Uh, this is exactly where we're at. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only He can do that. Is there a microphone recorder in your home? Yes, in all of our homes. And Holy Spirit is recording everything. And He knows exactly where we're at, where we've been, and where He's taking us. And so that's why we're able to do that. And of course, the Word of God is perennial. It keeps on coming. It's always fresh. It's always real, no matter where you are. So if you're just tuning in, we're in this third part and uh, but we'll we'll get caught up here in these other four areas within this context. And uh, you know the Apostle Paul, as we've been going through some of his different letters to the different churches, we're realizing that every church that he is speaking to, he spends so much time dealing with relationships conflict resolution, working things all the way through. That's where we're getting these things from because we're, we're no different. We're no different than the early church. We're no different than other human beings. The need for a relationship and how to relationally uh, work things through with one another. So they're a basic necessity in terms of God's design uh, for us as humans. And there are many people who would like to say, that, you know, I don't need relationships. I, I'm going to go this alone. Even some Christians who believe that just them and Jesus is enough. But Jesus himself makes it clear that that's not the case. And he will actually paint us into a corner, force us into a corner where we must become interdependent upon relationships that are around us. 
relationships. We talked about a lot of different relationships that people have, groups and organizations, different contexts with gangs and businesses and all those things. I wanted to bring up another one here. One of the greatest challenges in our day that we look at in America and and other countries is the whole issue of poverty. Most people, I think, when they're first uh, presented with this issue of poverty, they would try and fix that problem with money. But in reality, the truth of it is, is that poverty is not an issue of a lack of funds. Poverty is a result of a lack of relationship. If you look at every issue of poverty that you have, spirit, soul, and body. If we're impoverished spiritually, it's, as, it's because of a lack of relationship with Jesus Christ. Emotionally or, or naturally, if we're, if we're lacking money, like we said. So what do we do in our nation today is that we want to throw money at everything. So we're going to get people hooked on welfare on that dime rather than connecting them relationally with people. Struggles that families have are a lack of relationship. So if we can help people get connected relationally or we can be that connection for them that God wants to be for them, then that impoverished spirit and that impoverished life can come to an end so that they can walk in a measure of blessing. It doesn't mean we're going to have all the wants that we want, but our needs will be met in Jesus. Think about that. So there are two things, there were two Greek words that we used uh, to describe the church that are in the New Testament. What were those two things? Two Greek words, one that we're very familiar with, one being starts with an E, ecclesia. And what is ecclesia? Sorry? Okay, the government of the church, the structure. This was, a, this was actually a word that Jesus took from the Romans. He took this from the Romans. This was where a group would be uh, gathered, organized together to meet together to decide a particular issue. And they would usually come out in the public square and do that. And then there's another term that Paul goes on to use, and that starts with a K. What is that? Koinonia. Koinonia. What does that mean? Okay, a bonding of relationships. So koinonia is the glue. It's the, it's the communion that holds us together as a people. And we, it, it, we can't have that just by sitting here in this context. So to sit in a church gathering context, is that's not the glue for koinonia. We actually have to get into one another's lives. So if we come here, we sit, we experience, you know, this great time of worship and, you know, connecting together in the, in the word. And then we leave here and that's pretty much the extent of our relationship with the believers. Then we're not experiencing koinonia. We're not experiencing what God is really desires for us to be able to grow. We need to be challenged. There needs to be accountability in our lives. You know, if we're really honest, we could say, I mean, I need accountability in my life because I can't do this solo. I can't do this alone. 
We need brothers and sisters that come alongside us and are able to help us walk out God's Word together. Well, we went through a number of things and you mentioned those things, those uh, elements of relationships. And where we left off last week is that point of Matthew 18, keeping it clean. And we're going to read through this again and we'll finish up this section. So, Holy Spirit, as we do, we declare our complete and utter dependence upon you to not only understand your word because it is spirit itself, but we're completely dependent upon you for revelation. Let your word go deep within us. Impact us. Help us see things we haven't been able to see before. In Jesus' name. Amen. If another believer, verse 15 of chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful... Take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the what? To the ecclesia. Yeah, to the church. If the church decides you are right, but the other person won't accept it, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you this, whatever you prohibit on earth is prohibited in heaven. And what are you, whatever you allow on earth is allowed in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together because they are mine, I am there among them. So the first step is what? First step in Matthew 18, this is this whole thing of keeping relationships clean. How do we keep things clean amongst one another? When there, there is sin, anybody sin in here? From time to time, once in a while, and the scriptures are clear, if you sin, okay, so it's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to, but if you do, we have these helpful things to keep our relationships clean. But more importantly, we need to view this as keeping Christ's church clean. And we have a description for that, His body. Because when sin comes in, it's, it could be uh, used, uh, an example could be like cancer that comes into the body and begins to destroy. And so we must keep things clean in order to be a healthy body. So, we ask the question, when we go privately, how are we to go privately to them? What's the posture, what's the attitude that we're to go to them in? Two things together. We talked about honor and, and uh, what did I say? Honor and, and honesty. Yeah. But on this one, what did we say? Going privately to them, two things. Starts with love and humility. With a heart to see that person won back to Christ. 
See, our goal cannot be first and foremost to see this relationship one here between us. The rela- our goal has to be to see that person one back to Christ because that is going to be the ultimate. And it's going, to, it's going to deal with any funky motivation that we have in our own heart. So Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Reviewing just a little bit, but this is, this is so important. So important. Again, we've talked about we're not interested in just hearing a new word every Sunday and just doing something, you know, it's like, oh, that was great. That was a nice stimulating word. But we want these words to get into us. The true measure of success is not whether or not we've heard a word. The true measure of success for us is whether or not we're actually walking out and living the word. Awesome. Two people. Amen. That was good. Right? Do we want to be living it or just merely hearing it? Of course, we want to be living it out. Dear brothers and sisters, Galatians 6. If another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on to the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. What's the temptation? The temptation is, is that if we're quick to judge that other person and we don't come with humility and gentleness when we're coming to bring this to their attention, that pride that is in our heart is the setup for us to fall into the same temptation. This is where the whole idea came. Pride comes before a fall. And so you're seeing God's heart for restoration And we see that actually that our posture of humility validates whether or not we are a spiritual, spiritually mature person. Those of you who are spiritually mature restore those who have fallen. I want us to go back to Matthew 18 here. Can we prove that love and humility are the true posture in this process? So I want to look at some bookends here in Matthew 18. Look at the, because remember we never read just a what? We never just read a verse. We always read whatever we're reading in context. At the very least a paragraph, hopefully even the whole chapter. About that same time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, which of us is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We already know by this question, these guys are totally missing the mark, aren't they? Because we've read the story already. They didn't have the benefit of that. But here they are coming along. So which of us is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a small child over to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I assure you, Unless you turn from your sins and become as little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, why is it important to read larger sections? Because we're going to see a flow here. This is one you know, time where Jesus is speaking to the disciples. This is one uh, seamless flow through here. So we're getting the posture behind it. And then verse 12, starting in verse 12, if a shepherd has 100 sheep and one wanders away and is lost, 
what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others and go into the hills to search for the lost one? And if he finds it, he will surely rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, is it not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish? It is not. Sorry. Isn't it his heavenly Father's? Is it? It is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And so we're looking at this posture that you have to have the humility of a little child in order to be able to operate and function properly in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he's talking about the one. Jesus' heart for the one, to go after the one. And of course, that's what he's saying. He's interested in seeing people restored to the Father. That's what Jesus came to do, to come and glorify the Father, to restore people back to Father's heart. This chasm, this this divide that's come as a result of sin in our lives. And so, we should have that same posture of going after the One. And so now he comes into verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately. Go after that one with that same compassion, that same heart that I've had for you. Go and do that like them. Next part, after you've gone privately, talking about keeping it clean. Now, we're to take one or two others. Supposed to take one or two others with us. Who are these one or two other people? Who are these rebel rousers? These is this just anybody? What's that? Those in relationship? Because he's going to talk about witnesses in just a second. Those with the same heart. So are we talking about the people who saw? the infraction, who witnessed it? Other believers? So he's going to go somewhere with this one or two others thing. Let's, let's look at this. These are not people who witnessed the sin. So you've seen your brother, your sister, you, you've, you know that they're in sin, you're going to them privately, and then... You go to them and and they don't receive you. You weren't able to win them back to Christ, even though you had love and humility in there. So then you're going to go to one or two other people. And you're going to come to them and you're going to say, listen, here's the deal. Here's the situation I observed. This is what I did. I followed what Jesus told us to how to keep things clean. And I went to them and I, I, I brought it to them with love and humility I need you guys to come with me. So you get that one or you two or two other people, and but this is kind of a, a future thing. So they, uh, you go to them, and so it's two or three of you, and now you're saying, "Hey, I, I want to appeal to you. These two people are coming in here to mediate. I, I didn't go get my best friends so that they would jump on the bandwagon with me. We're not here to gang up on you." We're here to appeal to you. And they're going to help mediate. They're going to look at God's Word and see, am am, am I right? Am I standing with God? Or or maybe I'm wrong. You know what? Maybe I missed it. So, here's the situation. Now you share your side. 
And they're able to say, you know what? We, we, we really think that, you know, this guy that's come to you, we really think they're, that they're right. They're correct. And we're, we're appealing to you in Jesus. Please, turn your heart back to the Lord. We, we don't want to see, you know, we don't want to see you go down this road. We, we know where this goes. Here, here's the, the potential consequences that you could face. So this person, hypothetically, they don't receive what is brought by these two or three people. So what's the next step? Well, interestingly enough, it says that we're supposed to go before the ecclesia. Now, I, I think that this is something that we've lost. This is not a, a, a trial in the sense of a, like a hanging or something where everybody gathers together and we're just going to throw rocks. and That's not what this is about. You know, that person might not even show up. But what it actually says is we're supposed to bring that person before the ecclesia, before their people, before their brothers and sisters. So what have we turned this into today? And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to do this, but oftentimes it's just brought to the eldership of a local church. I think most people don't have a problem with that, but it says that we're supposed to come before the ecclesia, the, the people, the family of God. Do you guys read anything different there than me? If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. If the church decides you are right. See, here's what I believe has been produced as a result of us doing it a certain way that we do in our modern day. I believe the accusation against leadership has come so strongly because things are hap- take place behind closed doors and then decisions are made. And then you never, you know... What's the guy going to do if he's continually refusing to receive, you know, any type of appeal or anything like that? What are they going to say? Well, they go, they go, you know, bashing the leadership and saying I was treated wrongly and poorly behind closed doors and all this kind of stuff. Hey, let's bring it out. Let's decide. That way, the people of God, that local church, are able to decide amongst themselves and say, you know what? Let's look at God's word. Let's see where this things are, at, where this things at, and let's decide. I tell you what, there's a, there's a corporate accountability that comes with that type of a posture as well. I want you to wrestle with that. What a responsibility for the people. Rather than everything, just be about those in leadership or paid staff or, or that kind of thing. But what if the church got more involved? Think about this in Acts 6, in Acts 6, and we're, we're in the process of discerning, you know, Lord, what are you saying to us as a church in terms of leadership? God, who are you calling into step into places of leadership in the church to serve in those capacities? You look at Acts 6, the early church is just getting going. The apostles are doing their thing, but they're becoming overwhelmed with their, with their basic a lot of the administration responsibilities of the church. So they're, you know, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're, you know, setting up in the morning, they're, they're feeding the hungry, they're taking care of the widows, they're, they're doing it all. Saying, we got to spread the love around a little bit. So here's what they do. The apostles, the big dogs, go to 
the church, the ecclesia, and they say, we want you guys, we're being overwhelmed here, we need you to choose amongst yourselves those who are full of wisdom and who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are going to be the deacons amongst you to serve. Now, deacon has lost its value in our day and age. They're just kind of the guy that, you know, empties garbage cans and, you know, we call him a deacon. But let me tell you what, Paul, in he's speaking to Titus and Timothy, he's re, the requirements of a deacon are the same as an elder in terms of, of what they're required to be, who they are in order to be in leadership. But yet he goes to, the, he, they don't just say, these are the guys that are going to be the leaders now amongst them. No, they went to the people and they said, you decide amongst yourselves. And so they chose seven of them. One of them happened to be Stephen. I believe the Holy Spirit is in the process in the church today, not just here in this local church, but calling the people of God to not sit back and continue to be passive participants in some sort of just a gathering on Sunday morning, but to actually be the church that He's called them to be. Where you don't just show up and just go, you know what, get I don't blame anybody for this, but it's the culture that we've been cooked in in the church in the modern day. But somebody who is getting up to preach shows up with a different attitude than somebody who's just coming to receive. Again, I'm not saying that's your fault. But when you have a responsibility, you know, John was going to have to get up here and, and uh, you know, lead the, the transition time, you know, after worship. And you know what? I, I bet you he got up a little bit earlier this morning. He was geared up. He did some studying, you know, this week to be able to set the context for what Paul was talking about so that he could lead you in that. Why is that? Because he had, he, he had a little bit more buy-in this morning. He had, he had to show up differently than he did. Another time. And that's what Holy Spirit is doing in the church today. So buckle up, get ready, because it's on. So, this is not an opportunity when you take one or two others to gossip. This is not an opportunity to gang up. You're asking one or two others who will stand with God in His Word even against you, the one who is bringing this to this person, this appeal to them. So when we take it to the church, then the witnesses, this is where they come into play. So these one or two witnesses are going to stand up before the people and they are going to represent to the best that they can according to God's Word. They're going to say, listen... Here's the process. So-and-so came to us. They said they had gone to our brother. He was unwilling to receive. And we're here to tell you, here's what we've learned of the situation. Here's what we understand from God's Word. And here's what we believe needs to happen from here. You know, and then there's the question of, is that person there in the meeting? Is that person not present at the time? Blah, 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 blah. And it goes on and on. But we do see that... The final stage in this is excommunication. To cut someone off from communication. To remove them from communion. Paul is going to elaborate on this later on as he talks about a brother that's in, uh, that's, uh, in sin, that's unrepentant. And he says that you're, you're not even to enjoy a meal with them. 
wow, that really messes with our modern day sensitivities. Where we're all about self-esteem, building people up, and now we're going to damage their inner child by refusing to have communion with them. So who's in charge of this situation? Who's in charge of the process of restoration? Who must we trust in this process? I don't know if you guys remember uh, Bishop Long a number of years ago at family camp, and he, he shared with us, he said, you know, some of you are, are giving people just enough rope holding them in so that they really don't have, they're not able to really be confronted and convicted by the Holy Spirit because still allowing that type of fellowship. And again, you got to understand this process is going to happen through shedding of tears, through deep, great pain, through, um, through great process. But in order for the health of the church and for the, pro- the process of restoration to take place for that person, this is what Jesus, the leader of our movement, the king of the universe says, must happen for human beings in the body of Christ to maintain relationship and keep it clean. This is, if we can keep in mind, the word excommunication or removed from communion is used. But we have to keep in mind, from the start all the way through the finish, this is not a process of excommunication or even confrontation. This is a process of restoration. At its very heart, at its very core, every step along the way is a heart to see that person restored back to the Lord. The people, nev- people of God never give up on this person. And they believe for God's total and complete resurrection in their life. So, verse 19 and 20. As we're finishing up this little section here. I tell you this. If two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask... My Father in heaven will do it for you. Where two or three gather together because they are mine... I'm there among them. What is Jesus talking about here? What's that? Fellowship? What's he talking about? Where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He's talking about a prayer meeting, isn't he? (laughs) Some of you are not sure. Is he setting us up? We never read just a verse. We always read in context. Now, this scripture is usually used by somebody like me to manipulate somebody like you into coming to a prayer meeting. We've got to have two or more gathered together, otherwise Jesus does not show up. You guys, that's the only logical conclusion we can draw based upon that if we're going to read it, if we're going to read only just a verse. But what do we do? We read in context the full thing. So where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Where's two or more? What's the two or more that we already read about? Who are they? The witnesses. So where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What is Jesus saying? I remember studying this. John MacArthur taught this uh, in one of his books. And he's saying, listen, this is not a prayer meeting. 
Because the only logical conclusion we can draw is that if somebody is alone, then Jesus doesn't hang with them. If you're alone praying, sorry, Jesus doesn't do that. He's got to have a crowd. No, of course not. And the context of this is we're talking about those witnesses where two or more are gathered together in my name and we're coming to August and we're appealing to Him and the witnesses are here and we're saying, bro, turn your heart back to Jesus. We're appealing to you. Let the Holy Spirit work. Here's what God's Word has to say in regards to the pit that you're in. I can mess with August. Okay, do we get that? So we can't ever use that scripture again the same way that we have typically done that. But Jesus is saying, listen, this is my body. And I am far more interested, way more interested than you are to keep my body clean of cancer. Who's the person most vested in keeping their body clean of cancer? The one who has it. Okay? So Jesus is there, right there, and He says, while you are appealing, I am appealing as well. I'm there, right there in the midst of the... I am there to keep these relationships clean. To root out this this thing that has come in to divide and, and split my body. It's not beautiful. I love that. He's saying, oh, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Mm-mm-mm. You look at uh, a couple of these things, other, other examples that we've taken out of context, like First Thessalonians 5, where we say, avoid all appearances of evil. Well, if you look at the context of that, is that true? Should we avoid all appearances of evil? Can we look at the life of Jesus and say that Jesus avoided all appearances of evil? No, he was constantly accused of evil because of the associations that he had. But yet he was clean and pure at the same time. So what is it talking about? It says, receive all good prophetic words and reject all evil prophetic utterances. That's where we're to avoid that evil. Is those words need to be tested. I think there's a. Cl- I just had to throw this one in because I think it's really funny. You guys remember the song in the 80s, this like war song? You know, they run through the cities, they climb over walls. For great is the army that carries out his word. Anybody remember that one? Okay, where's that from? Joel 2. Joel chapter 2. And so we're singing this song. Great is the army that carries out his word. That was, that was the army that God sent to judge God's people because of their disobedience and sin toward Him, their rebellion against Him. And here we're singing, yeah, come and judge us. Go over those walls and just tear us apart. And That guy only read a verse. He didn't read in context. Very well. Here we are singing judgment, doom and gloom and demise on ourselves. Oh. The final bookend to Matthew 18. The final bookend here is we find in the next section. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He's really reaching. He's like, I think I've forgiven probably seven times. I'll I'll go to that extent. 
Jesus emphatically replies no with an exclamation point. Seventy times seven. Wow. The patience of God toward us. The patience of God toward us. Long-suffering with us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. And he goes through this whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Down in 35. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. Wow. I'm not going to forgive you if you don't forgive others and seek their restoration. With covenant comes collisions. The covenant that we have with God and walking this life out with His people, there are collisions that are going to come. We're going to have many opportunities over the years to take up offenses. Jealousy, Envy, misunderstandings, miscommunications, unforgiveness. All these are things that seek to fill in these wells of relationships that we're reopening and redigging, and we're going to have to maintain over the years. One of the things that has produced so much is the separation through a word that comes that's offended. You know, somebody gets offended by something goes in sideways and we don't believe the best and, and all that. And uh, I remember when we were at the, the man adventure, North Shore man adventure, and Dean Hale was talking. We were around the campfire. And he says this. He says, you know how to put out a fire? How do you put out a fire? How do you, what specifically do you do with the logs? Yeah, if you don't have any water. You pour water on it. No. You separate them out. Yeah, you move them away from one another. And so, how do we put out the fire of relationships? We separate. We divide. But together, we will burn. Like we were talking about, there's a, there's a burning desire in me for the things of the Lord. For His heart. For His way. Here's what I want you to do. As we close here, uh, I want you to talk about in amongst your, your group here, what's the most difficult aspect of relationships for you personally and why? What, what is the one that, that really challenges you? Keeping it clean, working it all the way through, humility. What, what is Holy Spirit working on with you? And you don't have to get, you know, super crazy vulnerable or anything transparent that way, but just talking about those things. And why is that? What, if, what has Holy Spirit identified with you and helped you see that's at the root of why that is? And what do you plan to do with that? And I know you only have just a little bit here, but it's important for us to talk about and interact around some of these things. So I want you to kind of turn in close to one another, cozy up a little bit, bridge some of the gaps. And one of you be brave and just lead out. Yes, the question one more time. 
What are some of the most difficult aspects or maybe one of the most difficult aspects of relationships for you personally in the context of the church? Or what could you foresee? You know, we're only six months into this church plant here, but uh, it could be things that you've seen and that you've experienced over the years. It's always easier to talk about somebody else than yourself. Maybe just share about your neighbor. One of the things that Bruce has really been struggling with here is that, or that I've seen observed over the years, no, but talking about what are some of the things that are going to keep us divided that we have to make sure that we keep clean? Okay? Talk amongst yourselves. We'll be back in just a minute to conclude. Well, I trust you've had a good opportunity. I was able to just sit in on one, one group over here and, and uh, some really, really good things uh, that were shared Really bad things, but, you know, <laughs> it was good that they were sharing it. Uh, but, you know, we're, we, all, we all deal with the same things. And, again, that's why God's Word is so, uh, so clearly hits home to each and every one of us whenever we are in it. And I just want to conclude just by reading... This scripture out of Colossians 3, we've been citing it pretty frequently, but it's so important. Verse 12, starting in verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves. Now here's the result of this. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience, you must make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. Isn't it? it doesn't mean let it go, but it's going to happen. Get, cut to each other some, a little bit of slack. Anticipate those things in how you're going to respond. And forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is? Is what? Love. Love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're all called to live in peace and always be thankful. In order for that to happen, let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Well, I would encourage you to get into 1 Corinthians 13 this week. Read it like you've never read it before. That's, that's the love chapter. And, uh, but get in there and look at that. What does it mean to really love? How does God define love? How does God define love? So I'd encourage you to get in there this week. Uh, this was a, a wonderful morning. Would you guys stand and we're going to conclude. You just grab somebody's hand. We're just going to pray and seal this. We could have just said amen at the end of that reading of the Word. But Holy Spirit, you are amazing, so good what you do. 
you're working in us as a people. You're taking us somewhere. And it's you who is grafting us. You're, you're that bonding agent that holds marriages together, that holds friendships together, that takes people from complete different walks of life, backgrounds, history, and brings them together and gives them a future. So we thank you in advance for the work that you're going to do, that you are doing, that you are working in us. Strengthen marriages. Strengthen us. May we work things all the way through. Short accounts. Not playing the blame game. Taking responsibility for our choices. Parent-child relationships. Turn the hearts of fathers and mothers to their sons and daughters and their sons and daughters to their parents. Lord, in all of us, take our hearts and make them yours completely and totally. We pray that in faith. We declare it over all of our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen.